Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex. Access our monthly newsletter with subscriber-only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and I am your host. We are working our way through the sexual alphabet one letter at a time. When we reach the end of the alphabet, we will start again, each time looking at different words and phrases, each time allowing us to expand our knowledge even further. I also write a weekly blog and a monthly newsletter called The A to Z of Sex. Each medium allows me to look at more terms and explore more strategies to increase sexual pleasure and to create that ideal intimate relationship. There is a workshop with the same title too to help you create your own sexual alphabet. I invite you to write in with your questions for me or my guests to drlauriebeth at a to z of sex.com. That's D R L O R I B E T H at A T O Z O F S E X dot com. Each week I will make time to answer a question or two. Today the letter is F, and F is for fetish. Fetish is formally defined as a form of sexual desire in which gratification is linked to an abnormal degree to a particular object, item of clothing, or part of the body. When we say to an abnormal degree, um, most psychiatrists referring to this being somewhat obsessive, where the person cannot reach orgasm without the fetishized object, item of clothing, part of the body present. This definition is most appropriate when speaking in terms of diagnosis or when a fetish takes over the life of the person who has it or interferes with the ability to have varied sexual relationships. Currently, we use the term fetish a bit more loosely, so it no longer refers to somebody only being obsessed with whatever they fetishize, but rather when the article, object, activity, or body part is high on the person's list of turn-ons. We often use the term as interchangeable with kinks, and these may be preferences rather than obsessions. Similarly, you hear people talk about having a fetish in a non-sexual way, they'll say, well, I have a fetish for shoes or I have a fetish for handbags, which means that they find it difficult not to collect these items. A true fetishist must always have their obsession or item present in order to achieve arousal. Most people don't fall into these categories. And when they say they have a fetish, they're talking about a strong preference or a desire. So an easy definition of fetish is being aroused by something that is not what arouses the majority of people. 
What types of things do people have fetishes about? Almost everything you can think of, someone out there has had a sexual association attached to it. Fetishes can be time-linked or culturally linked. For example, historical anthropologists discovered that Victorian men had an attachment to bare ankles and knees. Not surprising, as during this time, women were meant to keep their ankles and knees covered. The most popular fetishes center on body parts, like feet, toes, breasts, or bums. Next most popular is centered on items associated with body parts, like gloves, boots, and knickers. How do we develop fetishes? There are a number of theories around how we develop fetishes. One of the strongest is that of Pavlovian conditioning, or classical conditioning. Many of you will have heard about Pavlov and his dogs at school. But in case you haven't, here's a brief recap. Pavlov was a Russian physiologist, and during the 1890s, he was researching salivation in dogs to look at why dogs salivated when presented with food. While he was doing his research, he realized that dogs began to salivate when the laboratory technician who fed them entered the room, even when he was not bringing them food. In 1902, he started looking at this further. He began with the idea that there are things that are hardwired that a dog or a human does not need to learn, like salivating when presented with food. This is an unconditioned response, a response to a stimulus that does not need to be learned. So food, the unconditioned stimulus, produced salivation, an unconditioned response. He then discovered that any object or event that a dog associated with food would elicit the unconditioned response. He was fascinated by this, so he decided to devote the rest of his career studying this phenomena. His most popular experiments were the ones in which he conditioned dogs to respond to the sound of a bell with salivation. He did this by ringing the bell each time food was presented. That is called pairing, and it is part of classical conditioning. So that is when you learn to associate an unconditioned stimulus that already brings about a response with a new conditioned stimulus, so the new stimulus will bring the same same response. Back to fetishes. It's thought that some fetishes come about through classical condition. A person is already sexually aroused when coming into contact with the new stimulus, a boot, for example, and then responds sexually to the now conditioned stimulus in the future. Many people who have fetishes can tell you about the first time they felt sexually aroused by whatever the stimulus is. Often these stories come from childhood. One client I worked with told me his fetish for women's knickers began when he was 13 and had been fantasizing about a girlfriend's breast, which made him very aroused. He went to the laundry hamper to put his clothing in, and his sister's silk knickers were on top of the pile. He told me they looked so enticing that he touched them. He believed that this was the point at which his fetish for knickers began, associating his arousal with the feel and the sight of women's knickers. A second theory is the brain overlap theory. 
Studies demonstrate that the areas of the brain controlling sexual parts and responses and impulses are located next to those controlling other body parts and emotions. The idea is that the overlap causes apparently inappropriate associations because the stimulation moves from one brain area to the one next to it. And that, so for example, crosstalk between the foot and genital regions of the brain may be why there are so many foot fetishists. A third theory has to do with states of arousal. When you are in a high state of arousal, your disgust response weakens. And so things that you might normally find repulsive, like spit or urine, are no longer repulsive. If you enjoy sex in the presence of any of these things that would have otherwise disgusted you, then you're more likely to try it again. And this is how the fetish might develop. The fourth theory has to do with pleasure and pain and their relationship. Research highlights that sexual pleasure and pain involve the release of many of the same neurotransmitters in the brain. The chemical ties can lead to a person forming an association between pain and pleasure during sex. This is seen to be one explanation as to how a masochist derives significant sexual pleasure out of pain. This also can be used to explain things like runner's high. In my opinion, theories one and four are the most likely to apply, but as I continue to read the research, that might change my opinion in the future. And in which case, I will come back and report on this again. Most common fetishes at present, although not in order, are feet. Foot fetishes often like to touch and lick feet. Some focus on toes, others find themselves focusing on the arch, and still others just love the whole foot. There are more male foot fetishists than female ones. Some of them are also turned on by being submissive, but many are focused on what they see to be pretty feet only. Boots. Boot worship is often tied into foot fetishism or BDSM, that's bondage, discipline, sadomasochism, and leather sex. Those who fetishize boots as a part of a foot fetish will often fetishize high heels. Boot fetishism was described as early as 1868. Boot worship as a part of leather sex came about in gay male culture in the 1940s, growing out of World War II biker culture. In this case, there are two parts to the fetishizing of the boot. The worship of the leather itself, the boot itself, and the sexual response to the dominant submissive aspect of the worship. Taking care of leathers, including boots, is an integral part of this culture. And many people who fetishize boots will be drawn to boot blocking, which involves the cleaning and caring for the boots and other leathers. If they become very skillful as boot blacks, they may have the opportunity to boot black during leather events, thus giving them the opportunity to spend long periods of time worshiping boots and to pursue satisfaction from their fetish. Leather. Some leather fetishists simply adore the feel, smell, and texture of leather. 
Others are part of the leather subculture and also worship the meaning behind the leather and the dominance and submission become an integral part of the worship of leather. Voyeurism. Voyeurism is the gaining of sexual pleasure from the act of watching. The amount of pornography that is viewed on the internet tells us how many people are at least partly turned on by being voyeurs. Dedicated voyeurs will try to find occasions to observe sexual activities in person, looking through peepholes, sometimes peeping into apartments and homes. Mild voyeurism is healthy and enjoyed by a large number of sexually active people. Voyeurism at the other end of the scale, the more clinically fetishist end of the scale, can lead to criminal behavior, including breaking into homes in order to hide and watch and stalking. Latex. Some latex fetishists enjoy wearing latex for the feel, the heat that is built up, the sensation of the latex, the smell, and the way it holds the body in place. Latex is tight to the body and will compress the body in places. It can be amazingly fun to wear. Getting it on is often a challenge requiring lots of baby powder, sometimes a non-oil-based lubricant, and lots of patience because if you pull and stretch it on too quickly, you might leave marks on the latex or, or actually tear it. I have no idea how people manage to wear full latex suits for any long periods of time because they're far too hot. You have to be really comfortable with sweating to do that. Other latex fetishists only enjoy other people wearing the latex, so they like to look at people in latex. They like to touch latex on other people, smell it, taste it, but they don't want to wear the latex themselves. Body piercing and tattooing. I put these in the same category because they sometimes go together. They're both methods of body modification and may engage, many engage in them for spiritual purposes rather than sexual ones or for cultural purposes. Now, right now, tattoos are extremely common across cultures and across the age span. However, there are quite a few people who are sexually aroused when being pierced or tattoos. And there are lots of temporary piercings that are done for sexual arousal. There are many people who are turned on by people who have lots of piercings and tattoos. So the fetish divides itself into those who enjoy and the experience of being pierced and those who enjoy admiring those people who are pierced in tattoos. BDSM. Like many things on this list, this is not strictly a fetish. It's a sexual preference or a kink. It stands for bondage, discipline, sadism, masochism. It includes dominance and submission. I will be doing more than one show on the various aspects of BDSM in the future because it is a complicated and wide-ranging topic. Briefly, people who are aroused by bondage enjoy being restrained or restraining others. Frequently, rope is used but people use chains, bondage tape, handcuffs, clothing. For example, stockings are very popular. People who are aroused by discipline are aroused by being disciplined. That might be being stood in a corner. It could be being spanked. It could be being given a timeout or being told off or by disciplining others. 
people who are aroused by sadism enjoy hurting others, not always physically. There are many people who enjoy psychologically hurting others. For example, um, they might enjoy denigrating others, humiliating others, or they might enjoy denying a partner pleasure, which is also can be seen as psychologically hurting partner. People who are aroused by masochism enjoy being hurt. Just because someone is a masochist doesn't mean that they enjoy every type of pain. Masochists enjoy certain pains in certain circumstances. An integral part of these types of sexual activities for many people is a consensual exchange of power. This means that an agreement is made that one person will be dominant in charge and the other person will be submissive. The power exchange can be short-term, for example, for the duration of the sexual activity, or it can be longer-term. It can be a partial power exchange, for example, relating only to the actual sexual play or relating only to certain types of sexual play. So, for example, someone might agree to be the submissive or the bottom for a spanking only. And so that power exchange would be very limited. Or it could be a total power exchange where one person agrees that the other person will be in charge of their whole life. This is commonly referred to as slavery, consensual slavery. There are so many gray areas in between the idea of a 24-7 consensually slave master-slave relationship and somebody who is willing to only engage in power exchange for one sexual activity. There are just far more than 50 shades of gray. Breasts. Breast fetishists are some of the most common. Many men and women focused on the breasts, spending lots of time looking at breasts, touching breasts, and sucking on breasts. There are those who are turned on by breastfeeding women and will seek to find lactating women to become sexually involved with. Some women who are breast fetishists have multiple surgeries to make their breasts look exactly like what they fantasize. For some women, this can take um, the form of actually getting breasts, having breasts as big as, as possible. Um, and, and this can have quite a few medical consequences above and beyond just back pain. Um, it can become disfiguring over time. There are other women who uh, are lactation fetishists themselves, and they choose to undergo medical processes, take medication in order to stimulate lactation, even though they have no children. Bums and asses. Again, there are many people who fetishize asses. Some like to look at them, touch them, and sexually worship them. Others spend lots of money trying to create the perfect bum. Hair. Many people see hair, particularly head hair, as extremely erotic and sexually arousing. Red hair is the most common color to be fetishized. Blonde comes next. Some are turned on by long hair and others turned on by short. Some turned on by curly hair and others turned on by straight. 
Some suggest that the reason a woman's hair is required to be covered in Old Testament religions is because the erotic power of hair is recognized, and so the hair is kept for the husband's eyes only, and also kept covered so that the sight of the hair does not inflame men and encourage them to stray or to sin. Some people fetishize facial hair, underarm hair, chest hair, and others' leg hair. By far the most common, though, is head hair. Cross-dressing or transvestism. In cross-dressing, a person dresses as a gender different from his or her biological gender. Cross-dressing is not linked to identifying as transgender. That's a separate issue and is not a fetish. The cross-dressing I'm referring to is done for the purposes of sexual excitation. That's what makes it a fetish. Some cross-dressers simply wear the other gender's underwear under gender-appropriate clothing and will enjoy arousal as a result throughout the day. Other cross-dressers prefer to dress from head to toe in the other biological gender's clothing. The internet has made it much easier for people with specific fetishes to find others who share their desires and to be able to create healthy sexual relationships. There is still the fear of telling a prospective partner about your desires when partners are met offline or outside of an online fetish community. The internet's also made it easier for people to feel normal when it comes to their fetishes. Many people discovered that they weren't the only ones. In some cases, some of the fetishes that have been normalized are actually quite dangerous. So, for example, um, there's a community of people who like to uh, strangle themselves. This is called autoerotic asphyxiation. Um, It's often done through partial hanging. And the idea is that by cutting off their air when they're just on the edge of orgasm, they will... um, increase the intensity of their orgasms. There are quite a few deaths related to this each year. And this is on the very dangerous end of the spectrum. Other fetishes that are normalized are not at all dangerous. And so the normalization helps people to increase their self-esteem, such as people who are foot fetishes, for example. So George wrote in in advance of the show and asked, are fetishes dangerous or addictive? Um, The premise behind the question was that he said he often felt that if he tried something um, that he desired that was more unusual, that it would lead to um, things that were even more unusual than that, and that, that, that eventually it would become an addiction kind of like the idea that uh, marijuana is a gateway drug, right? So if you smoke marijuana, then you might graduate to to, um, more serious or stronger drugs, which of course has been proven to be absolute rubbish. Though some people do start with marijuana and go on to use other drugs. It's not the marijuana that um, causes them to desire to try other substances or use other substances. So fetishes are only dangerous in two types of situations. And and I'm using the word dangerous advisedly. It's because it's what George used when he wrote in the question. So when you can't achieve sexual satisfaction without the fetish object, 
being present, then that is a situation in which a fetish is um, maybe not dangerous, but certainly interferes with your life. That's when we would be looking at it being moving towards um, being um, a diagnosable problem. When you absolutely have to have that object present in order to feel any kind of arousal and in order to reach orgasm. The other time when I consider fetishes would be dangerous would be when the fetish itself has a high risk. So for example, if someone's aroused by choking or by having his air and breathing restricted, that has an inherent danger to it. And that can be very dangerous. Or if somebody is um, aroused by voyeurism and can't get aroused without being a voyeur, and this could lead to criminal behavior. Um, and so that would make it a more dangerous situation. If you're unable to reach orgasm without the fetish activity or object, it is worth pursuing some help to be able to expand your range and make it easier to reach orgasm even without the fetish object or fantasy of the fetish object. If your fetish is something that is potentially dangerous, please make sure that you become educated so that you lower the risk as far as you can. If you are, for example, interested in having your air restricted or your breath cut off, and that's the thing that turns you on most, you need to know anatomy really well to know the risks of doing that. You need to know, for example, that you shouldn't ever do that alone because you're far more likely to end up dead if you're doing that alone. So there is education you can get to lower the risk as far as you can. If your desires are interfering with the rest of your life, making it hard to have a relationship, so intense and so obsessive that they're all you think about. And so you're letting work uh, friendships and other relationships go by the wayside because you're, you're, you are in fact obsessed. That's the time to talk to a professional who can help you bring things into balance. We've only covered a small number of fetishes and kinks this week. We will cover individual ones in detail throughout this series. Here are two of my favorite quotes relating to fetishes. The first one is by Tiffany Rice, and it's from the book The Siren. S&M is, is as psychological as it is physical and sexual, Zach. Imagine being as deeply inside a woman's mind as you are inside her body. The second quote is by Cassandra Clare from City of Glass. I have a fetish for damsels in distress. Don't be sexist. Not at all. My services are also available to gentlemen in distress. It's an equal opportunity fetish. Thanks for joining me this week for the A to Z of Sex. Write in with your questions to Dr. Lori Beth at a to z of sex.com. That's D R 
L-O-R-I-B-E-T-H at A-T-O-Z or Z-O-F-S-E-X dot com. And visit both websites, www.atozofsex.com and www.theintimacycoach.com. So that's www.theintimacycoach.com. To learn about alternative sexual choices, types of sexual relationships, and to learn to sizzle and create that ideal, lasting, intimate relationship. For a free 30-minute strategy session with me, head over to www.atozofsex.com and click on the button that says Book Now. I hope to see you next week for G. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. To subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.